Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. The last two verses in chapter 20, they really are the conclusion of the gospel. Well, Ben, there's another chapter. Yeah, it it really is, but... If we were to look at just those two verses, we discover, and you can take note if you want to, that they really summarize, guys, the strategy, the subject, and also the purpose. That's really what they do. Two verses, guys, can encompass all of what John was telling us throughout throughout the the 20 chapters. What is say that again, Pastor? It's going to summarize the strategy, the subject, and the purpose. Now think about it. Think about it. Nice. Let, let the brain start to go. You go, what do you mean? The strategy, well, that's used to select the actual signs and the works of Jesus. Because the Bible says he did so many works that we couldn't even write it. But, but John says, no, 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 this is the one I want to show you. That's the strategy. You're like, okay, I get it. We see that, that, that the Greek word for signs, you want to keep this and you want to, you want to just let your mind wrap around this because there's signs and there's works and there are miracles and they're all intertwined. So, so John might employ the word works and another place he might say miracles and he uses the word signs a lot, but this is exactly what it is. And you go, pastor, what does it mean? Well, it's a means of confirmation. You want to understand that God's signs and wonders, symbolic prophetic actions. It wasn't just a miracle. I mean, this was something that pointed directly to who Jesus was as the Messiah, the Meshach. This is what he's trying to do. The signs, guys, throughout all of the Gospel of John, the signs that Jesus did were for a purpose. They were to illustrate, first and foremost, the character of God. They were also to illustrate and and demonstrate the power of God and relate Jesus to our human need. That's what they were designed for. You're going, okay, okay. Seven, okay, trick question. I want you to, seven of these signs are narrated exclusive of the final sign. You go, Ben, what are you talking about? Just keep that in mind because the final sign is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But I'm going to show you this in just a little bit. The subject, well, we know the strategy. The subject, guys, is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. As he came to earth, what was his purpose? If you read throughout the Gospels, he was always showing us the Father. This is the Father. This is the Father, and that would be the subject. He would show us the Father, and then we would move from strategy, right, to subject, now to the purpose, to the purpose of the writing of the Gospel. So today, we're going to take a quick look at the signs throughout the book because each one involved a human personality that showed the power of Jesus and how it could be applied to basic need. It's so amazing. So if you're taking notes, guys, I want you to jot this down. The signs were performed in the presence of his disciples and then recorded for us. The signs were performed in the presence of his disciples, and they were recorded for us. Well, Ben, you said, what was the purpose? Here's the purpose, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's the purpose. 
If John says, if you get nothing else out of this book, please leave here believing that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Christos. You need to believe that. And he says, now, let me give you a secondary purpose. In believing, listen to me, you will have life in his name. You'll have life in his name. Now, that's important. Why? Because in the Greek, it's actually eternal life. You will have eternal life in the name of Jesus. Now, we take it to, we go, man, I'm saved and I want abundant life as well. I want my life to count. I don't want to walk through this life with regrets and then end up dying and going, man, I should have, would have, could. I wish I would have done this. This is, guys, where you and I go, man, I want that abundant life, the life that glorifies Jesus in everything I do. That's what he's talking about. He's saying in believing, in believing, in believing. Now, one of the things, guys, we must remember is that it takes more than signs to bring people to faith. You understand that. It takes more than that. Or else we would just simply have the book of signs. And Jesus did this, and Jesus did this, and Jesus did this. And it was like, oh, okay. It takes more than that. It takes more than that. You see, this gospel was written in snapshots showing us the signs so that we could, we should, and we would believe in Jesus. Now, This is imperative. Before we jump into our study, let me remind you of the word that John employs when we are asked to believe. It's not one thing. Like, it's one thing to go, hey, do you guys believe in oxygen? You go, I think so, right? Because you breathe, right? But this is so much more. It's not just, hey, I believe that the sun will come out tomorrow. There might be clouds and we won't see it, but we know it's there. This is so much more, guys, than that. And I've told you over and over, but I want you to get it because it's such a deep word. It's the word believe. And it's made up of three Greek words that we really, 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 really need to internalize. You go, what are they? Well, the first word is pisteo, P-I-S-T-U-O. And what John says is to have faith in, in respect to a person, to entrust your life to Jesus Christ. That's the word. Pisteo, he says, he says, that you may pisteo. Guys, in your life, you have faith in, in the respect to a person, are you entrusting your life to Jesus? To Jesus. Well, then the second word in the Greek is pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. And that word means persuaded, to have reliance upon Christ for salvation. This is key. Why? Because you are persuaded to have reliance upon Christ, that's the only way you could be saved. Number one, you're entrusting your life to Jesus. And number two, you're persuaded, you're persuaded to have reliance on Christ for salvation. The third word is pithio, P-E-I-T-H-O. And it means to be convinced with confidence. Can you imagine the English language? You go, hey, do you believe? And we go, yay. The Greek language is like, no, 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 no. Believe is, are you ready to jump in the pool? Do you really get it? Do you, have you, have you trusted Jesus with your whole life? Amen. Are you persuaded that he's the only way for salvation? Amen. And do you have confidence in that? You go, amen. See, the Greek language is such a picture language that they just paint all of this stuff. You go, oh, so when John employs the word believe, he wants to make sure it's not that you just go, yeah, I believe. I mean, I, I got up this morning and I saw the dome kind of thing that we call the earth and I saw some skies, I heard some birds. I mean, it's green here. 
I believe in something. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying for salvation, do you believe? Do you believe? Why is that important? Because that's what he's asking us to do. That's what he's asking us to do. Now listen, listen. John writes these things. What are these things? Signs, miracles, works. They were written so that you and I would what? Would have faith in in respect to a person, to entrust our life to, to be persuaded, to rely on Jesus for salvation, to be convinced with confidence. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. So, when it comes to the signs and the miracles that Jesus did, we must remember the context. In your mind, everybody say context. You go, okay, context. Why is that? Here's why. Jesus still does miracles today, but not necessarily in the way we want them or the way we ask for them. You guys tracking with me? Why is that important? We have to be so careful that when we ask God for a miracle, for something, and usually it it, it comes in the form of we're praying for someone's salvation or we're praying for someone's health, They've been diagnosed with a deadly disease, and you're going, God, I need a miracle. We have to pray, guys, understanding the sovereignty of God. You have to, and you go, Pastor, I need to raise my hand. Why? Why? Why is that important? Here's why. Because so many people ask for a miracle from God, and the problem is is that sometimes God doesn't give it to them. That's the reality. And you're just like, what? So when our faith, listen to me, is simply miracle-based and we don't get what we want, then we walk away from God. So many people, guys, like you and I, have prayed for a loved one to get healed and they end up dying. And if your faith is just based upon signs and miracles and what God can do for you, and then he doesn't do something in his sovereignty, we go, well, if that's the kind of God you are, forget it, I'm out. We don't understand. And so the word of God is coming to us, and he's saying, okay, okay, what do you you mean? Well, notice with me what God's word says. The signs were done so that we could believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. When you as a believer are praying for a miracle, let me say this. Yes, there are times that he answers, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But you're already a believer. The signs that we saw, the miracles, it was so the disciples could begin to believe because they were going to take the gospel out to the world. But it was also for other people to put their faith and trust in Jesus. Context. You with me? And the second thing we learn from the Bible, guys, and you need to jot this down, our faith is in the Lord, not signs. Our faith is in the Lord, not signs. Why is that important? Now, two things, guys, we need to talk about real quick before we jump into our study. Okay? Okay, so take out your notes, get out your, get out your pencils, here's why. Because I want to say this, number one, God does still work in signs and miracles today. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Okay, good. He still does miracles. Would you agree? You go, yes. I believe with all my heart, he still heals. Okay, I believe he can heal you. I believe he can grow limbs. 
I have no, no question. I believe he saves the day when you ask him. I believe that he heals cancer. I believe he still does all that. Would you agree? You go, amen. I'm with you, Pastor. I believe he still does miracles. As a matter of fact, I read a story from Pastor Ray Stedman, and he writes this. There once was an alcoholic who became a believer. One day he was asked how he could possibly believe all the nonsense in the Bible about miracles. As a matter of fact, they asked him this. They said, you don't believe that Jesus changed water into wine, do you? The born-again follower of Jesus then said, I sure do, because in our house, Jesus chained a whiskey into furniture. Right? That's still miracles. That's still miracles. It's not necessarily, oh, I believe. But when God begins a miracle in our lives, guess what happens? He can change that whiskey into furniture. Now remember, maybe the miracle you're praying for is not the way you think. But God does miracles. And I'll even do one better. And maybe you don't look at it this way. Can I just say this? You guys are a walking miracle. You're a walking miracle. You go, what do you mean? You're a sign. You're a work. What do you mean? If you are saved and walking with Jesus today, <laughs> you're a huge miracle. You're a huge miracle. Why? Think about, well, I didn't do anything. Exactly. God, in his wonderful grace and sovereignty, reached down, touched your heart. You responded with, yes. And that is, that is just the biggest miracle I could ever see. You know why? Because the miracle lives every day. Every day you get up. It's not just a one day. Well, I gave my life to Jesus yesterday. Today, I'm not sure. No, you get up and you're, okay, I'm walking with Jesus. I'm walking with Jesus. Help me, church, through the hardships of life. We all have hardships of life. I'm sorry, guys, but the, the world out there isn't all rainbows and butterflies. It's not. It's hard. And Christianity is hard. You got an enemy who hates your guts, and he wants to do everything to get you out of walking with Jesus. That's the bottom line. But our God is so much bigger. And the miracle is he goes, I'm going to still walk with you every day. Let's go. Let's go. Lord, I stumbled. I scraped my knee. I know. Come on. You're okay. You're okay. Let's go. That's a miracle, guys. That's, that's important. That's important. Let me give you the second reason. Let me give you the second reason, guys, that you need to know. You go, what's that? Guys, we don't follow after signs, right? We don't follow after signs. This will be, listen to me, this will be the trademark of the Antichrist in the days to come. As a matter of fact, here's what Paul tells us, and he writes to the Thessalonians. He says this, in, in first. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. This man, speaking of the Antichrist, will come to do the work of Satan. How? With counterfeit power, signs, and miracles. So you got the Antichrist coming, and he's going to do all of these signs. He's going to do all of these counterfeit miracles. And you go, Pastor, why? What's the purpose? Paul tells us he will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. There's going to be a group of people, guys, that are going to follow after this miracle. 
If you've read the book of Revelation, you know one of the biggest miracles that the Antichrist is going to use to deceive the world is a false resurrection. Dun, dun, dun. Everything on your Facebook, everything on Instagram, everything on the internet. So-and-so is dead. He's declared dead. The world mourns. Well, wait a minute. No, he's not dead. He resurrected. The doctor said he was dead. They put the sheet over his head. He resurrected. Ah, and he's going to stand up and he's going to say, follow me, I am God. And the world is going to go, oh. Guys, we don't follow after signs, do we? We don't follow after signs because we know what the word of God says. We follow the word of God. The truth in the word. So what I want to do today, guys, is I want to jump into and look at what John is talking about so that we would believe and have life in his name. Now, remember where we left off last week. It was the resurrection of Jesus. I think Lori prayed today. It's every day Sunday. Every day is Easter. Why? Because Jesus is alive today, is he not? I mean, I mean, April 20th, we're like, yeah, whatever day it was, we celebrated yeah, resurrection and people invited people to church. And we got all dressed up and we looked real nice and we shaved and, and we all had wonderful dinners. But here's the thing. Every Sunday should be Resurrection Sunday because he's, no, he, he's alive today as he was three weeks ago. He's just alive. And, then, and so we go, okay, okay, so what was it? So, so we see that this what? That Jesus' resurrection, if you guys recall, was proof positive from the dead that he's alive. Can I get a good amen? Now, let me give you just a brief look real quick at the 10 appearances of Jesus, okay? After the resurrection, we have 10 recorded appearances. First one was to Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, right? We saw that. Then the second one was to the other women who returned from the tomb. Mark's gospel tells us that in chapter 16. Now, I'm not going to go real deep into this. I just want to give them to you and hit them for the sake of time. We just can't go through. The third one is Peter. Most likely in the afternoon, according to Luke 24, it says, So they rose up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven, and those who were with them were gathered. 34 says, The Lord is risen indeed as he appeared to Simon. That would be Peter. So the third appearance was to Peter late in the afternoon. Then the fourth appearance was to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. There was that. You can find that. Then he appeared to the 10 disciples. Thomas wasn't with them. Remember what we said? How many blessings we miss when we're not with the family of God? Sixth appearance was with the 11 disciples with Thomas following the following Sunday. Then the seventh appearance, guys, this was the seven by the Sea of Galilee. We're going to look at that next week. Okay, we're going to see that appearance. Then to the apostles and over 500 brethren, Matthew 28 tells us about that. Then to James, the Lord's half-brother, 1 Corinthians 15 says that. In verse 7, he says, after he was seen by James and all the apostles. And then the last recorded appearance was his ascension from the Mount of Olives. If you go to Israel today, now we didn't get to see this, but if you go a little bit higher on the Mount of Olives, there's actually a little, uh, just a little, I don't even know if you can go in it. It's pretty big. But that's where they say Jesus actually ascended to heaven. I wish we would have seen that, but we didn't get to see it. I mean, that's, that would have been so cool on the, record, on the Mount of Olives. But not to mention, guys, remember, Stephen saw Jesus before being stoned to death. Do you guys remember that? He looked up, and, he, and there's the Lord. And then, of course, we know who? Paul or Saul saw him on the road to Damascus. 
So we saw those resurrection appearances. There's only one time the Lord appears to an unbeliever. Only one time. All of these are believers. Who's the one that he, he, he appeared to? Paul, right? On the road to... At that point, Saul was not a believer in Jesus. But after that, he was, wasn't he? It didn't take long to see the Lord. He was like, I believe. I'm in. He was blind. He was literally blinded by the light. The very last thing we saw last week, guys, was our conversation, well, Jesus' conversation with Thomas in our text. Look at verse 27 of chapter uh, 20. It says, then he said, Jesus, to Thomas, he says, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. He said, Thomas, don't be unbelieving, but believing. Okay? Someone mentioned to me last week, my title should have been, don't stop believing, right? And, and just, just belt out the journey song. But that's, what, that's what's key. That's what's key with what Jesus says. Jesus tells Thomas something that you and I really need to grasp, and you've got to see the importance of it. You go, what's that? He says, Thomas, don't be unbelieving. Don't be unbelieving, but be believing. Now, notice he didn't say, Thomas, you need to be a good steward of God, and, and you need to go to church, and, and you, need to, you need to pay and tithe, and you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to cut your hair, and you need to, you know, all of this stuff. He didn't give rules and regulations. All he said, Thomas, is just don't be unbelieving, be believing. And that's key. Why? Because belief, guys, changes who we are. That's how you went from light to dark. Now, over here, you're an unbeliever, and you're in darkness, and you're trying to find your way. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Then the light shines. You see the light. You change your belief. I believe in God, and now you're over here, and you're walking a different path. That's what he's saying. It changes who we are, and that's why it's important that when we come and we give, we say a prayer right here, it doesn't mean you're saved because belief happens as we begin to see your life in the next few weeks. Did he really change? Does your belief change you? You go, absolutely. Because how you believe, help me church, how you behave and how you live is exactly what you believe. Just me? Okay. So Thomas says, do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered, here should be our answer. He says, my Lord and my God. That should happen to us right there. My Lord and my God. I believe. You are both Lord and God. Amen. And Jesus looks and he smiles at Thomas. He's Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And that's where we come to our text today. Notice. So then he says, and truly, verse 30, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. So I want you to look at me for just a moment. Can you imagine as John began to say, okay, Lord, I want to write a book. I want to write a gospel. I've, I've walked with you. And the Holy Spirit says, listen, I'm not going to let you write a book with all the details. I've got Matthew to do that. Luke's going to pick up a story. Mark's going to pick up a story from Peter. I want you to write about signs. Just signs, Lord? Yeah, the purpose, yes, Lord, is because I want people to believe. Now, you can't put all everything that Jesus did in this book because it'd be too much, but I'm going to give you specific ones. And what was the reason, Lord? So that they could have life in 
There's name. So now we've got to unpack the verses, okay? What does Jesus say? Listen, but these were written that you may believe. You guys know what believe means, right? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing, you're going to live differently. You're going to live differently. You're going to live a holy, beautiful, abundant life. You're going to have that life. My dad... My dad always used to tease me when we were growing up, right? We, you'd come home and you'd go, Dad, did you hear this? And he always used to tell me, never believe what you hear and only half of what you see. He always used to tell me that, right? And isn't that the case, right? Right? My little granddaughter came home from school the other day and she said, this boy did this, this, and this, and this. And I was like, mijita, never believe what you hear and only half of what you see because boy. They'd be crazy. You know, I mean, it was, it was just weird. But anyways, that's what it was. But I'm thinking in this case, listen, in this case, we must believe without seeing. It's been 2,000 years. And we must fully trust in our hearing, in our hearing. So what does John do? John starts off with the word truly. What is that word truly? You guys circle it. It means certainly, surely, indeed. In other words, you can take it to the bank. You can take it to the bank. Well, what is it, John? What are you trying to say? He said, Jesus did many signs. What are the signs? Means of confirmation. Okay, he's trying to confirm something. What is he trying to confirm? God's signs and wonders and symbolically prophetic actions. So they have something. They mean something. Now, John already stated the purpose. So let's go back and let's see what these means of confirmation were. You ready? Ready? Okay, now you can jot these down. I want you to look at them later, but you need to have them. By way of recap, Jesus throughout the whole gospel has been telling us exactly what John wants to tell us. Say that? Jesus already tells. As a matter of fact, watch. Look, in, look at John chapter 5, verse 36. Jot that down. You can look at it later. Jesus says, but I have a greater witness than John's. What are they? For the works, the miracles, the signs which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me and the Father who sent me. So right off the bat, he's going, listen, the things you're going to see, they're all about the Father. They want, we want you to believe. And then if you were to jump over to John chapter 10, verse 30 and 38, Jesus says, if I do not do the works of my Father, he says, don't believe me. But if I do, Though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. So Jesus has already been sharing with us. These are the works. Guys, they're going to see. Okay, so what are they? Now we got to go back. Let's look at the seven real quick. Okay, we'll move pretty fast from here. The first one, Jesus turns water into wine. What a great miracle. You guys remember he was invited to a wedding. Right? And they ran out of wine. That is a social disgrace. But Jesus' first miracle was something even far beyond him going, you know, woman, what does that have to do with me? Whatever he does, say. And he says, fill those water pots up. You guys know the story. Next thing you know, it's the good wine. It's the good wine. It's not the box wine. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's not the box wine. We got friends coming over. Get the box wine out. This is the, well, I don't know about wine, but this is a good wine. All I know is it's the good wine. But here's what I want you to see. This was the first miracle. Now, here's what we got to understand. We learned something so amazing about Jesus right here. 
okay? That John tells us in verse 11, he says, this was the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. What was the purpose, John? And his disciples believed in him. There it is. They all looked and went, that was water. Adam, that was water. Now it's wine. That's pretty good wine too. You want a glass? Water is good. Good wine. Yeah. Let's party on, man. But it was more than that. Why? Here's what you need to see. Jot this down. Okay? We need to learn that this miracle is how Jesus was the Lord of time. Jesus turned the water into wine, and what he did is he actually compressed time. You go, what do you mean? Well, think about it. We all know it takes five to six years to have sweet, sweet grapes that would actually be quality enough for a wine. Okay? But it actually takes actually more, five to 20 years to have really good wine. Really good wine. Okay? You wouldn't just grow grapes and go, all right, smash them. Here's some wine. It took years and years in vineyards. And so what Jesus did is he compressed time. And he wants to show us, guys, that he's the Lord over time. He did that in order to save a wedding couple from humiliation. But what Jesus was showing his disciples and us is that he was Lord over time. And he compressed time when he made the water into wine. Guys, don't ever feel like he's not Lord of time. We're bound by time. We're bound by 24 hours in a day. Every one of us is going to get up tomorrow and either say, good morning, Lord, or we're going to get up and say, good Lord, it's morning. I'm not sure which one, but it's all going to be Monday, is it not? Jesus is not. And when we pray, guys, we're praying to the God who can compress time and say, no, you need a miracle today. I'll take care of that. Do you believe? That's going to be my question after everyone. Do you believe? Number two, the healing of the nobleman's son, right? Do you remember that? That one really got to me when I taught it. The healing of the nobleman's son. Why? Because this guy comes and his son is dying. Do you understand that? And he says, Jesus, please come home. And I'm thinking he's holding onto his leg. Come home. Come, come with me, please. My son is dying. Now, I wouldn't let go. And Jesus goes, no, I'm going to show you that I'm, I'm not only Lord over time, I'm Lord over space. Go your way. Your son he is healed. The problem is, is that I would have probably ran straight home because that's what Jesus said. He didn't. He waited the next day. He's like, Jesus said that? I'm good with that. Let's go shopping. He goes home the next day. The servants come. Anthony, your son is healed. Your son is healed, Anthony. And Anthony goes, hey, um, so what day was that? When did he get healed? Uh, yesterday, about such and such hour. He goes, oh, that was the same time Jesus said. And he says, listen, not only am I Lord over Time, but I'm Lord over space. Guys, don't think of Jesus as being in heaven when you pray because he is the Lord over space. He can be with you at a moment. He's right here in you. When you pray, Lord, you're here. He's even here today. He's even here today. This blows my mind. Here's my question, okay? Your son is sick. Your daughter's sick. They're on their deathbed. Jesus says, go your way your son lives, how many of you would go your way? I think I'd be that pest. Jesus, please, just come. Just, just check. I'll just check. Really, just, 
I believe. Help my unbelief. No, just come home. Just come home. Listen, we got a great ham. We're gonna. Oh, we can't have ham. Sorry, you're kosher. But we uh, uh, we got some food. We got you know. Um, I'd want to make sure he goes home. But that's how little faith I have. I want to have that faith that goes. Lord said it. I believe it. That's. Do you believe? Do you believe? The third healing, the third sign, was the healing of the layman at the pool of Bethesda. Check this out. Now, there was in Jerusalem by the Sheet Gate a pool. Do you remember those pool? Do you remember that, Anthony? I mean, uh, Adam and Tiffany. Do you remember the pool? There it was. We were there. And there was five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of sick people, behind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. You guys know the story. And for an angel went down at a certain time in the pool, stirred up the water, and whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now this just trips me out, because you got a bunch of sick people, lame people, broken people, lame by this pool, waiting for the water, and then they're going to try to roll, tumble, and somehow get in the water to be healed. Yes? Why is that important? Because when we want to be healed, we'll do anything we can to be healed. If I see that water moving, you know, whatever I can do. You guys with me? So Jesus comes up, right? So Jesus comes up. He's been sick 38 years. Jesus saw him lying there. And he said already he'd been in that condition a long time. And Jesus looks at him and he says this. Do you want to be made well? Now this trips me out. Why? Guys, I just got to ask, why did Jesus ask the man if he wanted to be made well? Because Captain Obvious would say he's at the pool. I'm like, dude, here's why. Listen, listen, because I believe Jesus asked because sometimes people don't want to be healed. Because they might like the attention they're getting being miserable. Come on. Sometimes people don't want to be fixed because they like the attention they get being broken. And Jesus says, do you want to be made well? And of course, you guys know the story. Here, here's what I love. Jesus says, hey, um, rise, take your bed and walk. Take your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. Here's what I think. Listen, whenever you've been in bed for a long time, your muscles get all, all weirded out, atrophy or whatever I mean. He, was, he didn't need therapy. Jesus says, get up. The dude got up. I'm just like, wow. Wow, what a great miracle. But what was the purpose? So that those go, oh, wait, wait, wait. You, you need weeks of rehab. Come on, let's see. Here's a walker. First of all, let's start. He just got up. He took up his bed and he started to walk. What a great miracle. Jesus restores the muscles along with everything else. And I love that. I love that. Fourth, fourth sign. We've got to move quick. The feeding of the 5,000. This is found in John 6. You guys remember that? Jesus takes a happy meal from a kid, a happy meal, a fish and two loaves, and he feeds over 20,000 people. You go, Ben, I thought it was the 5,000. Well, come on. That was just 5,000 men. Think about wives and children and families. It was well over 20,000. And here's the thing that blows my mind. I love my God so much that he fed 20,000 people and he still has leftovers. You can never outgive God. When God does something for you, church, listen, you got to receive. He's going to give you more than you've ever thought. And so many of us were just hoping for a loaf and a fish. And God goes, no, 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 I want to feed you. By the way, you're going to have a doggy bag to go home. Go home. And that's, it's just a huge, why? I mean, think about it. Here's the problem with this sign, though. The people began following him for food, not for who he is. 
Well, you go, Ben, how can I apply this? Okay, listen to me. What does this mean for us? They wanted what Jesus could give them, not Jesus alone. Guys, we have to cross that plane. So many of us follow Jesus for what he could do for us, not for who he is. And the faith teachers and the televangelists, man, if you just give your life to the Lord, you're going to be this, you're going to have this, you're going to have this. What if he got up there and said, let me tell you, let me tell you something. Here's my big televangelist spew. Ready? You get Jesus. I can't promise you wealth. I can't promise you anything. I can't even promise you that you won't be kicked out next week from your house. But you get Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is cool and all. You know, I don't mind hanging with him, but I, I need more. I need the blessings. No, you get Jesus. You see, so many people were following. Guys, we gotta, you've got to do a heart check, don't you think? Am I following Jesus for what he could give me, or am I following Jesus because I get Jesus? Pastor Ben, I got uh, he still blesses me. I know. Isn't that the beauty of it? He still blesses us, but that's not why we follow him. Here's, you, okay, hard question. Hard question for me, hard question for you. If Jesus, if, if the world stripped us of everything we had, all our earthly wealth, all our possessions, everything, bank account gone, would you get up tomorrow and still follow Jesus? That's a tough question, is it not? I want to say yes. I want to follow him. It's got to be more. It's got to be more. All right. Number five, healing of the men's eyes, sight. Do you guys remember that in John chapter 9? When he said these things, he spat on the ground, which is crazy. He made clay, a saliva. He anointed the eyes of the blind mind with clay, and he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is transcended and sent. And he went, and he washed, and he came back seeing. Right? So now all of a sudden, he's healing people, but he doesn't just go, hey, See, right? Now, I'm glad he didn't see because the dude, the, the blind dude probably said, what are you doing? I'm spitting in the mud and I'm putting, no, he'd be like, hey, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. No, he took that, he put it on, he came back seeing. You go, what a great miracle. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus does that same miracle today. Not with so much with our physical eyes, listen to me, but he gives us sight to things that need to be illuminated in our own hearts. Ooh, come on now. Oh, is that not convicting? Oh, there are things that need to be illuminated in our own hearts, things that we've deemed idols. And God says, no, I'm going to shine a light on that. That's a great miracle. Why? Because we need to pull that idol down and say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. Let me let you on a little secret. Sometimes when God illuminates the things in my heart, Guess who's on the throne? Me. How did you get there? What do you mean how did I get there? You put me there. Oh, never mind. (laughs) And he does that. Number six, raising of Lazarus from the dead. Raising of Now you go, wait a minute. Wasn't one of the signs that he walked on water? Yes. He walked on water. But it's not considered a miracle because... The disciples had already believed at this point, and it was just the disciples who saw him. So some people include it, some people don't. So the sixth sign would be that what? That he raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, what a great deal, right? You guys know this. And, and in John eleven twenty five 25, it says, Jesus said to her, 
I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes, there it is again, in me, though he may die, though he shall live. And then in John eleven forty one and 42, they took away the stone from the place where Lazarus was lying and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. Who's he talking to? He's talking out loud. And I know that you always hear me, but because the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you have sent me. Why did he raise Lazarus from the dead? Because he wanted people to believe in who he was. So people could believe in an awesome spiritual way, does he not do that today? You go, what do you mean? Guys, he raised us from dead to life. You see, the Bible says that without Jesus, we're dead in trespasses and sins. And and I love it because he says, Paul, come forth. Same thing he did with Lazarus, but he did it spiritually, and that's where Paul became illuminated. By Jesus, I believe. I believe. Lisa, come forth. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Julia, do you believe? Yes, Lord. Come forth. You guys see? He still does it today. He does it, and he's still doing it. He's still doing it throughout right now. You and I are sitting here. We're going, man, pastor, you better hurry. You've got about five more minutes. I know, but he's still doing it across the world. People are coming forth. From death to life. That's worth an amen, don't you think? That's worth an amen. What's the seventh sign, Ben? Guys, the seventh sign is the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection. Now, may I point out, although it wasn't within the framework of the first 12 12 chapters, okay? First 12 chapters are all of the signs. Chapters 13 all the way to where it's showing them in the Last Supper and all that good stuff. You go, well, Ben, it wasn't. But here's what I want you to see. It was predicted way back in chapter 2. In chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, it says, So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. He predicted it way back in chapter 2. So it was within the framework. But isn't that, isn't that, guys, isn't that the final sign that people saw? Wow. Wow, I believe. I believe. Now you go, Ben, 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 I have a question, right? I have a question. When Jesus showed himself in the resurrection appearances, it was all to believers. I thought it was so that people could believe. How did you believe? How did you come to faith? If it wasn't somebody who had already believed and that shared with you. So Jesus is going, I'm going to pour into my disciples. I'm going to pour into people. I'm going to show them the 500. I'm going to, the disciples on, on the walk to Emmaus because I know that these people can take the gospel far, far, far. Think about it. How did you get saved? Like, like listen, you weren't born saved. You know what I mean? Even if you grew up in church and your mom had you right in the front pew, I mean, you were not saved. You had to be saved by somebody who believed. Would you be that catalyst for the person at your school, the person at your work, the person that's going to believe just because they see your life? Would you be that catalyst? As we close, guys, and the worship team gathers their stuff and comes on up, let me, let me just say this. Let me just say this to you. Do you believe? Do you believe?
And you go, what do you mean? Are you in the family of God? Are you in the family of God? Do you believe? Pastor, what do you mean? Are you walking in life with a brand new heart? A brand new heart. Have you been born from above? Have you been born from above? Here's what I would do. Here's what I would ask you to do. Do a quick spiritual inventory. Do I believe? Do I believe? I look at Sister Tamri over there and we've had this conversation and I'll never forget the day where she came and she said, I believe. Sister Tamri, you've always been saved. No, you don't understand. I believe. She did a spiritual inventory. It was at a women's Bible study and God got a hold of her heart. Oh, we had a glorious time rejoicing and that's what, I said, that's, that's exactly it. There's so many people who, who feel like they're walking down but they haven't been touched by God's Holy Spirit. She believed in God. She knew a lot about God. Trust me. She went to church. But she knows what the Greek word of believe means now. All of us know that, guys. Because we put our faith and trust in Jesus. And that belief changes our life. It changes our behavior. It changes who we are. Do you believe? That's what Jesus asks us today. Father, we thank you today for your word and the truth in your word. We thank you. We love you so much. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.